Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. Also, if you want to, Romans 7. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation for that. Um, What I'm about to share with you is uh, honestly a very personal message. And and I just want to be as honest as I can. And talk with you about uh, um, how the fact that the Lord has this amazing ability to take us where we can't get ourselves. Where he could take us in our weaknesses and take us beyond who we are. And it's amazing how he does that. I don't know if you're like me, but I got to tell you, I feel like sometimes I start strong. I mean, I get so excited to to do this and and I have great plans and then they start to fizzle out. Let me tell you where I'm going. Uh, For instance, uh, a while back, I was able to buy a a truck and I thought, I am going to keep this truck spotless. I mean, I finally, this is like the truck of my dreams. And so, man, I, every morning I'd get up in the morning and grab my coffee and get my sham wow. (laughs) And I'd go outside and wipe it down. And, and I remember one morning I'm out there and Pam came out and said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm wiping down my truck. And she said, well, you're not wiping down my car. And I'm like, so, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and man, for, for two whole weeks, that truck was spotless. <laughs> not anymore. Uh, it just doesn't happen. Or, you know, we talked about the beginning of school. I remember starting in college, every semester I was going to read ahead, get ahead, get all my papers done on time, be more studied than ever. And, and, you know, I think two or three weeks, man, I was on that. And then I started drifting and, and things started clouding in and there was more than I thought. And I can't tell you the number of all-nighters I had to pull just to stay up. And I was like, why do I do that to myself? You know, I, I, I plan, you know, I'm going to do this so well. You know, I'm going to do that so well. Uh, uh, and then it seems like at times, you know, it's harder than we think to keep it going. Spiritually, that's true. I mean, think about this. How many times have we begun a year and said, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And we make it all the way to Genesis 17. (laughs) You know, have you ever had that happen? Or I'm going to meditate every day, or I'm going to tithe faithfully, or I'm going to win my neighbors to Christ, or I'm going to, I'm going to witness boldly. I'm going to take down. And, 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 And it just seems like we find things just interfering or getting, you know, distracted. And have you ever thought about how God feels about you? When you let that happen. Well, I want to be as clear as I can. I know. He honestly loves you. He couldn't love you more than he does. By the way, I got to tell you, there are times in my life where I wonder, Lord. I mean, I feel like I've disappointed you. You know, I, I just thought I would be better at. And I feel like I've disappointed you. Now, that's how I feel. But let me tell you what I know. I know that you have never disappointed God. I know that I have never disappointed God. Now, why is that? Because God already knew. You know, you've never done something and God go, whoa, where'd that come from? I didn't know you'd be that way. No, he knew you'd be that way. You never surprised him. He loves you. He cares about you. He loves us. He has this great desire for us to be living lives that are awesome and amazing. And by the way, he even told us in Proverbs that a righteous man falls seven times. It's not that we don't fall, but we always rise again. And we rise by his power and rise by his love. And we see him begin to do amazing things in our life that are incredible. But I don't know if you're like me, but I can so identify with the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, felt this way too. And in Romans 7, in the New Living, verses 19 to 25, it says this. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. 
But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Now, did you catch that? I don't want you to miss it. He said, I've learned a principle of life. It's something that happens in all our lives. And he said this, he says that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I can't tell you the number of times I've started out a week and said, this is going to be the week that I don't say anything stupid. I I mean, I'm going to be wise. I'm going to think before I speak. I'm going to be sensitive to people around me. I'm not going to be hasty with my words. I'm not going to say anything that hurts someone in the moment or, or, or belittles or, or I walk away and say, oh, why did I say that and have to go now backtrack on it? And, And by the way, I've done pretty incredible on that on Mondays. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday's been tougher. You know, James said that our tongue is just almost the most difficult thing ever to control. Any of you guys here say, man, I'm going to be the most amazing husband ever. Man, you know what? My wife's never going to be loved. Like she's loved by me. She's going to walk away thinking, whoa, she got a man here. The way I'm going to treat her. Or have you ever said, how, how many of the parents here said, I am going to give my kids quality time, period, and not miss a moment. And we find ourselves messing up. And, and, and you look and think, you know, okay, I not only do that, there are times I very do what Paul said, I do the wrong thing. The very thing, I, I'm not going to lose my temper, and now all the words are flying. I'm like, what am I doing? And uh, God knows us. Paul said it's a principle of life. Verse 22, he said, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Uh, there, this power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? By the way, I, uh, if you're a follower of Christ in here, you probably share this with me. And, and what is that? It's that we actually now are more sensitive to it. See, honestly, I got to say, sadly, even before I was a Christian, I didn't care when I said the wrong thing. Like so. But now when I do... I'm more sensitive to the heart of God and what he wants me to do and be and how I'm supposed to be edifying to others. Uh, I'm more sensitive to the fact that life's not about me. I'm more sensitive that when I do something and grieves the heart of God. By the way, that's a good thing. But uh, you know what? God looks and says, do you, do you get it? And, and sometimes I, I, I literally, I, I'm just going to get super honest. I, I hope you would too. I've sat in my truck at the end of a work day or in my office chair at home or I've walked in and looked at Pam and she said, what's up? I said, I, I messed up again. You know, Pam, I, I, you know, I'm miserable sometimes over it. And, and Paul said he was too. And then he says these words that literally are the most incredible ever. Verse 25, thank God. The answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank God that the answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God that there is an answer to this. Praise God that he loves us anyway. Praise God, by the way, we're going to talk about it starting next week, that we can know the truth and the truth can set us free. By the way, I want to say it works. It works. Maybe I'll fall in a moment, but God will help me rise. Maybe you'll fall in a moment, but God can pick you back up. God redeems, God loves, God cares, and God can take us beyond ourselves. We can embrace this amazing life. We can find victory happening. Maybe in a moment we don't, but in the overall picture we can. Thank God that in Christ Jesus, we have an answer to who we are. 
You see, I, I got to tell you that sometimes I, I, I'm Thomas. Do you know who Thomas is? One of the 12 apostles. Matter of fact, Thomas has a nickname. Let's see if we know it. What, what is his nickname? Yeah. In the, how would you like to, uh, for all eternity, oh, there's the doubting guy, you know. And uh, think how he started. Uh, it, he was chosen as one of the 12. I mean, Jesus picked him out of a crowd of thousands and said, you're one of my main men. I mean, what a better calling than that. And then what happened is, is Thomas showed amazing commitment, but he did have struggles with it. See, in John chapter 11, Jesus is going to do one of the greatest miracles he would do beyond the resurre- outside of the resurrection. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And, and beyond the cross and the resurrection, I mean, this is one of those amazing moments where he's going to demonstrate his power. But what happened is he gets word that Lazarus is sick. And it says that on purpose, he waited four days. And at the end of four days, it says in John 11, verse 7, it says, Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Verse 8. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Are you going there again? They're ready to kill you. I thought we would never go back there. Why would we go to a place that that's going to happen? And we're going to face death. Now, by the way, he's already been telling them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die and then rise again. But now they're like, no, we can't go there because you'll die. And, and he's, he's saying, we're going to go really in the mouth of the lion's den. And then he says this. He says, you know what? Lazarus is asleep. And they said, well, if he's asleep, he'll awake. And he said, no, I, I mean, he's dead. And I'm glad for your sake that it happened. Let's go. Now, they're not thinking resurrecting Lazarus. Matter of fact, by the time they get there, he's been dead and in the tomb three days. They're thinking, we're going to go to the funeral and it's going to be our funeral. But listen to what it says, starting in verse 16. Therefore, Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, in that phrase is two things. One, amazing commitment. If he's going to die, I'm going to die by his side. He's not going to die alone. Let's make sure we're all there. None of us backing down. We'll go to our death. That's amazing commitment. But there's something else that's there too. An amazing doubt that God can handle this. He doesn't understand the power of Jesus yet. He doesn't understand that even though Jesus will die, that he'll come out of that grave and conquer death. He doesn't understand the power of God. So Jesus is going to show it by raising Lazarus, by dying on the cross and rising again. Thomas, in the midst of faith in God, can't see the power of God. Now, sometimes I'm Thomas. I'm that way. I really believe with all my heart that God can handle anything. And yet I can tell you every negative thing that could ever occur. And, and you know, it seems like, I, I don't know about you, but see, I have this weird attitude sometimes that God isn't really in the end going to give this amazing moment to us or this amazing victory here. It, it's, it's a weird thing. I know I'm not the only one. Um, years ago, I, I met a man who just was an amazing pastor from England uh, was a chaplain at Forest Home Christian Conference Center and, and was an older guy who loved to pour into younger pastors. And uh, he shared something with me that I think a lot, not all, not all of you, but there's a lot of us in here that we, whether we admit it or not, you may admit it in a moment, we have this feeling. And here's what it is. That if I 100% commit myself to the will of God, my life's going to be miserable. Anybody else think that? 
You think, God, all right, here it is. Not my will, but your will be done. And now God's going to cause you to go live this life you don't want to live. I mean, I mean, this guy, you know, and, and you know, you're thinking, if I do that, if I really surrender to him, I mean, I'm going to miss out on so much. I think a lot of people think that we're like Thomas. We can't see the positive. We can't see the power. This pastor was telling us that's how he felt when he was younger. He was 21 years old living in England and he was an incredible soccer player. His dream was to have a career in soccer. He wanted to get all the acclaim and and love the sport and the camaraderie and everything with it. And his mother always said to him, if that's what God wants you to do, then I want that for you. She said, but I want to ask you to do this for me. Would you just literally and meaningfully pray, Lord, if it's your will. And he thought, no, I'm not going to pray that because then I can't be a soccer player. I mean, he, he was like, no, because that's not what God would want for me. That's what I want. That's the, the path to happiness. And if I pray God's will, I won't get it. I mean, he really believed that. So he wouldn't pray it. And he loved his mom. And she would always say to him, would you please pray for God's will? And he's like, okay, mom. But then he wouldn't do it. Well, one night she came walking in and she said, Stanley, I was praying. And I know that God's called for you to be a pastor. He says, mom, I want to be a soccer player. The last thing I'd want to do is be a pastor. When she left, he thought, no, not a pastor. I mean, he went to a little church of 50 people. It was boring. He couldn't imagine a more meaningless life than this. And, and she walked around going, as long as you pray God's will, I don't care. And he was like, oh, and it drove him crazy. She kept on him and kept on him and kept on him until finally he thought, okay, I'm going to do it. God, I really, oh. And, and he finally prayed, Lord, whatever your will is, let it be done. And, and then what happened? He prayed that like on a Tuesday on Friday, out of nowhere, he gets a phone call. And, and what happens, the minister, the pastor of their church got sick. And for some reason, out of the whole church, they called him and said, we need you to bring the message. When he heard it, he was like, no way. And then he thought, yes, this is my way out. This is it. I know what I'll do. And he said, Lord, all right, I really meant it, whatever your will is. But I'm going to say this. When I preach on Sunday, if no one comes forward, then I don't have to be a pastor. I get to be a soccer player. Now, that was a pretty safe bet because catch this. He had literally been born and brought to that church every Sunday of his life. And in 21 years, no one had ever gone forward. Nobody. And he thought, and I'm a new guy. I'm safe. He was so excited. His mom was like, oh, I'm so proud of you for being willing to do this. He said, oh, yeah, mom, I'm willing to do this. I am. He got there on Sunday so excited. He knew when it was over, he could look at his mom and say, it's not God's will. He got up and preached. He gave the invitation and 11 people came forward. (laughs) You already know the end of the story. You ready for what he said? In his 70s, he looked at us and said, and I am so, so glad that I'm living the life that God had for me. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than living the will of God. Now, now I got to tell you that, that if you ask intellectually, do I know that's true? Yes. But does that practically always live out in my life? There are so many times when I just can't seem to wrap my arms around. God, you really do have this under control. I really can trust you. I'm just going to share again personally. Pam and I are so excited for where we're at in this point in our life. Man, I love this church. I love our staff. I love what we're doing in this community. And three years ago when I came here, we put our house on the market. And and we got not one person looked at it. Not one. And we wanted to move to Corona so bad. Well, we prayed and prayed and prayed for God's timing. And uh, about a month ago or whatever, we put our house on the market. And it's sold in three days. And we're like, wow, that's it. But, but being doubting Chuck, doubting Thomas, I told Pam, well, you know, it can always fall out of escrow. 
And she's like, so? And I'm like, well, you know, just get ready for disappointment. She's like, what disappointment? And, and then, by the way, we found our dream house. And, and this house is like better than we could ever imagine. And when all is said and done, we're going to pay $200 a month less than we're paying right now. So that even looked better. And, but I looked at Pam and said, well, you know what? We might get on the verge of getting it and God might take it away. You know, and she's like, so? So then Friday, we're packed. I mean, we are packed up. There is no, no cooking utensil, nothing in our house. We have our beds and our TV set. And I get the call at three o'clock. There's been a problem in escrow. Uh, it's going to be delayed. And, and then my friend who's the realtor said, well, no, I'm sure it'll close. Just don't worry about it. He said, but you know, these can happen. I said, but you can't be 100% sure. He goes, no, nobody could be 100% sure. So I hung up, ready to tell Pam, I told you so. And I walked in and said, don't be disappointed, Pam. But uh, there's a problem in escrow. And she looked at me and said, Chuck, why would I be disappointed? This is in God's hands. And I'm like, oh, that's true. You know, and uh, she's like, if God doesn't want us to have that house, it's probably so we can win some other neighbors to the Lord. I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, and it's really hard being married to somebody like that. And uh, are you like that, any of you with me? And I know God looks and, and I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. By the way, I, I, let me get really, really honest here. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I wanna, I'm really being honest. I'm kind of ashamed to even share with it because I know where we're at in our life is so much better in this moment than somewhat you are facing. You know, we've got a, a good home and, and right now I've got a job. And I know some of you, you're struggling in that area. Why would I, why would I not just rejoice? Why would I not be better than that? And I do care about those of you who are struggling. And yet I got to tell you this, although it's not as easy as as just saying it, you know, I know God's got Pam and I, and I know God's got you. And if we could brace that in our heart and, and let God take us up, we don't have to be that doubting Thomas anymore. We don't have to wonder. We could trust him. Remember what would happen is that, that Jesus would go to the cross and, and go to the grave and rise again and the apostles would see him. But Thomas wasn't there. And so then what happened is he appears to the apostles and in appearing to them, uh, they, they are amazed and they tell Thomas, the Lord, he is risen. And remember, y'all probably know this. Thomas said, unless I see him and unless I put my hand in the nail print in his hands and my hand in the wound within his side, which by the way, tells you he saw him die. He said, I'm not going to believe. And then three days later, Jesus appears and the first words out of his mouth are shalom or peace be unto you. And he said, Thomas, come touch. Touch the handprints. Touch my side. And Thomas falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you've seen you believe, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Now, I'm going to tell you my take on this. You decide. I think what he was, he wasn't putting Thomas down. He was saying, Thomas, you're the kind of person who needs to see it. But I want to tell you the more blessed person is people like my wife, Pam, who they don't need to see it. That's the more blessed life to get there. But did you notice what Jesus did do? He didn't stand in front of Thomas and say, how could you doubt? He didn't say, you know what? I picked you as one of the 12, but you failed. He said, you come and touch me. You come and be with me. You come and experience me. That's what I want for you. By the way, here's the point, And I know I'm writing this. That's what he says to you and I in our times of weakness. He says, you know what? Right now it's hard on you. So guess what? Come and be with me. Come draw closer. Come experience me. No, nobody else got to do that. 
Even Mary went to touch him and he said, no, don't touch me right now. Thomas got to. Why? Because he saw the need of the moment in an incredible way. By the way, I don't know if you're aware of this, but historically and traditionally, we believe that Thomas, after the resurrection and after the time that the church was fanned out, he went to Iran and reached thousands of people for Christ. He went to India and probably reached hundreds of thousands of people for Christ. Of, Of the original 12 apostles, nobody traveled more and reached more people for Jesus than Thomas. Why? Because he was in the hands of a God who knew his weakness, but helped him in it and brought him to his strength. And we know he died for the Lord in amazing death. Sometimes I think I'm a Thomas. I don't know if you are, but God loves you anyway. And I want to shoot him and not miss it. Sometimes, by the way, I'm a Samson. I'm not talking about physical strength. Uh, I I think, though, that I have a lot in common with Samson. Uh, One is that Samson's a practical joker. Uh, And I love practical jokes. Some of you know what I did to Bill Hador, and I shared that with you. But I got to tell you, one of my best jokes I've ever done. Uh, A guy was coming on staff at a church I was on staff at, and he was all excited about it. And I said, dude, let's meet for breakfast so we can get to know each other better. And so we had this particular restaurant we're going to meet at, and I'm sitting there at the booth looking out, and he pulls up, and he gets out of his car, and he's starting to walk towards the door, and I'm waving at him, and he waves. And all of a sudden, a college-age guy walked up and goes, 